Well, good morning. If you will, come back to your seats. We'll have plenty of time to chat and talk uh, afterwards. We have our Super Second Sunday today, so that is exciting. We can uh, chat and eat some soup or seconds or Sundays. Do we have Sundays today? AE Sundays? Hey, my name is Kevin, and I have the privilege of sharing with you all from Mark chapter 13. We have been going through the book of Mark as a church. This is our 13th week, so we have been going chapter by chapter, and we have a couple weeks left because there's 16 chapters in Mark. And so we're in Mark 13. So if this is your first time here, this is an interesting day to join us because if you are a Bible scholar, do I have any Bible scholars out there? You know William Maserak is a Bible scholar. Uh, Mark 13 is uh, Jesus' teaching on end-time events. And so... If you're a first-time guest, we're talking about end times today. We just talked about our mortgage, and we're having second, super second Sunday food that from people you probably have never met. So, interesting day today for you to be here. But, hey, we're, we're so glad that you are here, and we're so glad that we're all here, because this is a great place, I believe, a great place to be, where we can join together in worship, we can join together in prayer, we can join together in talking about God's Word, and I love talking about God's Word, and so we're just going to jump in today. And so what we're going to do in Mark chapter 13, I'm actually going to start at the end of Mark chapter 13, which is kind of, I thought, kind of poetic since we're talking about end time stuff. I'm going to be talking about the end of Mark 13 first, and then we're going to work our way back through the entire chapter. And I just want to be faithful to what this is saying. And uh, let's pray first, and then we're going to jump in. So Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for you teaching us, Lord, that you continue to teach us through your word and through the words that you've said thousands of years ago are still said right now, today. So I ask that we would be open to receiving what you have for us this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we would have wisdom and discernment, Lord, and that you would just give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Mark 13, we're going to start at the very end, verses 32 through 37, which is a parable that Jesus gives about all this. And so my main point, my main message, I'm just going to give it to you right away. All right, there's no hiding. I'm not going to be eventually getting there. I'm actually just going to throw out what I want all of us to walk away with. And I could, we could just end there, I guess, and we could just all go and enjoy food right away. And so my main goal today is for us to get our eyes fixed on Jesus, to watch for him, to watch for him. That's my main object and main goal for us is to watch for him, to to hopefully uh, help each of us to be encouraged to do this, to watch for him. And so I'm going to start with this parable in Mark 13, 32 to 37. It says this, however, no one knows the day or hour when... Is this mic really hot? Where's this like really? Okay, here we go. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard, stay alert. The coming of the son of man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. 
you too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. I think that's us right there, everyone. We're everyone. We're part of this story. He, he's saying to us, like he said to these disciples 2,000 years ago, watch for him. And so that's my main goal today is to get us to watch for Jesus and to encourage you to stay faithful till the end, to stay faithful till the end. So when we talk about watching for him, there's two questions that I want to answer today for us because you're probably asking yourself, well, why should I be watching for him? And how do I watch for him? Why and how to watch for him? And we're going to answer those questions today. So now let's jump all the way back to the beginning of Mark 13. And let's see the setting for Jesus's end time discourse. Let's see what, where the setting of the story is. And so in Mark 13, one through four, it says this, as Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Oh, thanks, Jesus. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across from the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, just a little side note here. Usually when you read of like three disciples, Peter, James, and John, but here's now Andrew. So he kind of, I guess he's now in the inner circle. I just thought that was funny. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? So Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25, and Luke 21 are all considered the uh, Olivet Discourse, which is Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives, when he's sitting there across from the temple teaching. And so if you read Matthew 24 and Luke 21, there's all uh, the same, it's basically the same chapter. There's little, little things here and there we could talk about later, but it's basically the same chapter of Jesus' teaching on these events. And so here, Jesus predicted, they're in the temple building, they're looking at it. Jesus predicts and says, actually, this temple here, this second temple, or Herod's temple, is going to be destroyed. Now, we see Jesus kind of giving hints at some of the destruction of the temple earlier, like in Mark 11, what does he do? He goes into the temple and he starts seeing what's going on inside the temple and said, this is not how God's temple, God's house should be, uh, how you should interact with God in this temple. And so he starts flipping over tables. He's clearing out the temple. Then in Mark 15, we actually see another uh, type of judgment on the temple where Jesus, at Jesus' death, the curtain in the temple is torn. And so just those, those two things kind of are, are on the ends of this story. But the disciples ask a certain question. They're not asking why or how, which we are asking those questions today. They're asking what question? When? They're asking when? And they're kind of actually obsessed with this question of when, aren't they? So here they're asking, well, when's this going to happen? Then if you jump into the book of Acts, which is after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and he's about to ascend, the disciples ask him the same question of, of this when question. So in Acts 1, 6 through 7, he says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Is now the time? When is that going to happen? 
He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So what are these big events in Jesus' life? What are the big events? We could, we could ask you what some big events are in Jesus' life. So here's a, a slide here that talks about the big events in Jesus' life. His birth, pretty big, right? We're coming up on the Christmas season where we're going to be talking about his birth, his incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. Pretty significant event in the life of Jesus and in the life of this world. That was a big event. His life was a big event. He, his teachings and the miracles he did was pretty significant. His crucifixion and death, which is the atonement for the sins of, of everyone that comes to him, huge event. The resurrection was a big event, right? The firstborn from the dead. He is now the, the new creation. Uh, and so we have then the ascension, which is a huge event, which is in Acts 1, where he goes back into heaven with his restored, with his new resurrected body. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the only one that's been resurrected from the dead so far. And now he ascended into heaven. That was a big event. So now what's the next big event in Jesus's life? His return. So where are we? We are there. You are here between the ascension and the return, which hasn't happened yet. So when we talk about in times, this is what we're saying is that we're coming up on the next big event of Jesus. All these other events has, have already happened, haven't they? Hopefully you agree and believe that these other events haven't, have happened. If you don't believe these events haven't happened, uh, maybe we can talk. But I believe that these events have happened. And now we're waiting for him to return. And so we're in between his ascension, which also was the giving of his Holy Spirit for believers. We are now filled with the spirit of Jesus in Acts 1, Acts 2. We're filled with the spirit of Jesus and we're waiting and longing for his return. So now Mark 13, 5 through 13, this Jesus explains a little more because the disciples did ask the question, well, when is this gonna happen? And I believe that Jesus kind of gives an answer to this. He doesn't say, no, we're not going to talk about that. He does answer this. So this is pretty interesting. So verses 5 through 13, this is not yet the end. And there's also suffering before the end that Jesus talks about. So let's read. Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, did we get that part? Don't panic. We got that? All right. Let's not panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Verse 9, when these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me, for the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray brother to death. A father will be betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone who will hate, sorry, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But 
the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus gives them a heads up about suffering. This will happen to believers, but don't be worried because the Holy Spirit is operating in you. And the key phrase I believe in this section here is the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus gives a warning what's going to happen. And so when these things do happen to believers, they're not going to be like, oh, what's going on? We can go back to the words of Jesus and find comfort where he says, hey, don't panic about these things. The Holy Spirit's going to be operating in you. Don't worry about it. Oh, so this brings comfort to those who are suffering. And so the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is a key phrase and theme in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 14.10 says this, this means that God's, sorry, 14.12, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. When we built this building, we have these boards up here at the altar that were unfinished. And we came up and we wrote scriptures on some of these boards. I'm not sure how many of you did that, but maybe you remember what I'm talking about. There's boards up here that have scripture written on them. So as we were going through that, that time, I think it was on, maybe on Sunday morning when we were doing that. And so I was, I was thinking and praying what to, to put on there. And so I put a prayer on there and I said, may the, may the Lord find faithful people serving here at this church when he returns. And that's from Luke 18, verse eight, which says this, which Jesus says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? So if we believe that Jesus is returning, are we staying faithful until he returns? Because the, the temptation is to say, well, it's been a long time. The master's not returning. I'm supposed to be the gatekeeper in, in the parable there at the end. But it's taking a long time. When is he going to come? I'll just, I'll just take a nap. I'll just kind of live idly by because it's been a long time. I mean, I grew up in the church hearing about how soon Jesus' return's coming. But man, it's been 30 years. What's going on, right? And so I'm just going to sit idly by and just kind of live my life. And then, you know, when some of these things start to happen, then I'll get really ready for his return. No, we are to stay faithful now and still stay faithful until the end, no matter what is happening in our life, no matter what's going on, staying faithful today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. And we're supposed to be watching for him. So why? Why watch for him? Because when he returns, like, I'm say, like, I'll just be ready. So why watch for him? Well, here's one reason. Because he is bringing justice for those who endure suffering for him. Those that are suffering for him, and I believe believers are, are going through suffering. There's many believers around the world that are, that are enduring intense persecution, physical persecution. And they are waiting for Jesus to return so that he will bring justice to them. Revelation 6, 9 through 11 says this, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred, killed for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. 
They shouted to the Lord and said, this is coming up on the end, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people, before you bring justice, who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. So this right here hasn't happened. There hasn't been a full number of martyrs for Jesus that haven't happened yet. And there's been uh, many and many and many and many people who have been martyred. And so why would somebody who's waiting for Jesus, why would they endure this? Why wouldn't they just say, you know what? I'm out. Like, <laughs> this is too much. Like, why are they, in, why, are they go, why are they still watching for him? Because yes, they believe, we believe that Jesus is bringing justice, and we also, we're watching him because we love him, right? We suffer for those we love. These people and us as believers are suffering for Jesus because we love him. That is one of the main reasons we're watching for him because we're waiting for him to return, waiting for him to, to restore, restore us. This is in, as well in, in Mark 2, way back in Mark 2, which was like in... When did we start this thing? It was like in August. But in Mark 2, we see a story here where the disciples were not fasting. Remember this story? And John's, uh, John the Baptist's disciples were fasting, and the Pharisees were fasting, and they're like, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And what was the answer he gave? Well, why, would they, why would they fast when the, bride is with, when the bridegroom is with them? But when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. And that's where we are. Jesus has been taken away from us and we're fasting and we're mourning for his return. We're lovesick for him to return. Jesus, return. We want you to come back. Hopefully you're there with those two things, that you're waiting for his return because you believe that he is the one and only who will bring justice to this world. And he's the one and only that you love so much. All right, let's keep going. Getting into some fun parts here. Mark 13 Verses 14 through 23 is the prerequisite for the end. So here's what Jesus says. He said, the day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, or another translation, the abomination of desolation, standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of those chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. So the abomination of desolation, or another way to say it, uh, a, a disgust that led to destruction, which this abomination of desolation is mentioned in the book of Daniel three times. And so one of these translations that I believe uh, we could say is that 
that Jesus is talking about, what's the setting of this whole story? Is Jesus is talking about the, the destruction of the temple. And if you look at history, we see that the temple that he's talking about was destroyed, which my Bible scholars, history majors, and destroyed in what year? 70 AD. Okay. And so there was some abominations that were happening at the time where these Jewish revolutionaries and these zealots actually shed the blood of priests inside of this temple. This is not something that uh, God would have liked. There was also worship to Roman emperors inside of this temple. This is also an abomination in God's eyes because what is the temple? If you look at the temple of God in history and in the Bible, the temple was a place where God's presence dwelt. It was a symbol of the Garden of Eden when God walked with humans in the garden. It was a place where heaven and earth met. It was the central place of worship uh, for the Jews in Jerusalem. And so the destruction of the temple happened in 70 AD. There was a war of um, the, the revolution, or not revolutionary war, the Jewish revolt, or the Great War, um, in 66 and 70 AD. And so because of some of these abominations, I believe that God brought judgment upon the people and destroyed the temple in 70 AD through the Romans by Titus, the Roman general. And here actually is a picture of the Arch of Titus. Everybody noticed this? Everyone's seen this in, in uh Rome. This is the Arch of Titus, which is actually built in 81 AD to commemorate the victory over the Jewish rebellion at the temple in Jerusalem. And inside of this ark, you see actually a picture of the spoils of Jerusalem right there. You can kind of see them where they're carrying out the articles that were inside of the temple. There's the menorah there. These are Roman soldiers that when they went and destroyed it, they're carrying out all these goods of God's temple. This is a pretty uh, interesting ark. I think we maybe have seen it before, maybe pictures of it. Maybe we've visited it there. Um, maybe when Jesus comes back, he's probably going to step on that ark, maybe, um, arch, and be done with it. So real quick, the history of the temple. I got a, another slide here of the history of the temple. So throughout the scripture, if you're confused about what are we talking about the temple? Well, the, the history of the temple, we first see this type of temple as in the tabernacle of Moses, which was a, a mobile uh, temple made of tents that if you look at through the book of Exodus, you see them building this. Then after this, we see in the story where King David desires to build a place, a permanent place for God to dwell. And he, he, see, he has this uh, heart's desire to build this place in 2 Samuel 7. And then Solomon, his son, actually ends up building the temple, which was Solomon's temple in 1000 BC in Jerusalem. And Solomon built it. You can read that in 1 Kings 5 through 9. But that temple, that first temple in Jerusalem, ends up getting destroyed in 586 BC or 587, one of those. But you see in the story, you see uh, in the Old Testament, the, the book of First uh, and Second Kings, really, where there's God's uh, judgment on the people where he's like, this is going to be end up getting destroyed and you're going to be sent out into exile. And they get sent out into exile. And then they actually return. If you read in the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, it's all about them returning back to Jerusalem from exile. And they start working and building a second temple, which was started in 516 BC. But then Herod, in Jesus' day, actually was the one that expanded it, uh, used a lot of the money that they got, and just and grew this temple to make it so ginormous. And actually, they finished it in 63 AD, which was only seven years before it was actually destroyed. All right, was that interesting or no? Okay, cool. All right, very good. 
sorry, sometimes Mr. Breeding, the teacher, comes out. And I think people like that guy. So, um, so here we are. This second temple is what Jesus is uh, talking, is physically there right now when Jesus is talking in Mark 13 about that temple, which is also Zerubbabel was the one that laid the foundation of this temple. And he's talking about that temple and saying, this is going to be destroyed. Just like that first temple was destroyed, this one is going to be destroyed as well. All right, let's keep reading. Then in Mark 13, 24 through 27, is the end of this world that Jesus is talking about here. He says, at that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will, be, uh, will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. So if you look at Mark 13, we're back, back at verse 5 till now, verses 26 and 27 talk about the return of the Son of Man. So was Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple at that time? Or was he talking about also a future event as well? Because Verses 26 and 27 haven't happened yet. We believe that uh, the destruction of the temple has happened. We see that in history. But this verse, 26 and 27, hasn't happened yet. So was Jesus talking about that time, or is he talking about a future time? My answer is, yeah, probably, <laughs> right? Like, what? That doesn't help me. Because we see that this hasn't happened yet. He hasn't returned yet. So at the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, you, don't you think they were like, okay, this is it? Here he comes. Jesus is returning because the, the temple is destroyed. The abomination of desolation happened. Um, people are fleeing the, the city. They're going to Judea. This one guy I saw didn't take his coat. I saw him run. I was like, that was a fulfillment of scripture. He didn't go back for his coat. Whoa, this is happening. And maybe the sun grew dark that day. I'm not sure. Um, and they're probably sitting there waiting like, it's 70 AD. Here he comes, right? This is going to happen. And then what happened? Jesus didn't return yet. So um, in this phrase here, it says that everyone will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power. Everyone, that phrase, everyone will see. And so his second coming is unlike his first coming because his first coming, he, was, he came as a, a, a quiet, in a quiet, humble way, as the suffering servant in a small little town up in northern Israel in Galilee. That was his first coming. Not everybody knew about it, right? But his second coming, everybody's going to see. Everyone will see the Son of Man return with great power as the victorious king. In Hebrews 9, 28, says this, Also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So we see this phrase, everyone will see the Son of Man. And then it says he will send his angels to gather the chosen ones from all over the world. But what we don't see, this, or we don't, this phrase is not everyone will be gathered to him, right? This is, this is kind of, uh, this is sad, right? Not every, everyone will see him, but not everyone will be gathered to him. 
And so what's our goal in this? As we watch for him, we aren't just watching for him like this and not talking to other people like, leave me alone, world. I'm watching for Jesus. Yeah, but I have like this really issue. Like I need help right now. Uh, I don't like my, I am hopeless. I can't talk to you hopeless people. I have hope. I'm watching for Jesus. But like, can you tell me about Jesus? Shh, I'm watching for him. (laughs) Like, no, not everyone will be, this is a person that's eagerly desiring Jesus in their life. And as we watch for him, that is part of our job is to look at those around who aren't watching for who don't know Jesus. Back in Acts, we read Acts 1, 6, and 7. Let's continue through Acts 1, 8, and 11. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. They were, they were watching for Jesus, right? They strained to see him rising into heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So his second coming is very much like his ascension. He's coming back just like in verses 26 and 27, coming back in the clouds with great power and glory, everyone will see him. And so in the book of Acts, they're not, the disciples aren't just staring, they're actually told, hey, let's go do something. You're now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Acts, you see all that they did for Jesus. They weren't just staring at him when he, when he left on the Mount of Olives. They actually started going and doing things that were amazing and awesome. And we have things that we're called to do as well. So why do we watch for him? Because he's returning with justice. Why are we watching him for him? Because we love him. And how do we watch for him? I hopefully we answered by not just staring there, but how to watch for him. You live a kingdom lifestyle here on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, provoking others to love Jesus and also watch for him. This is the how. You live a lifestyle filled with the power of the Holy Spirit here on earth, provoking people. Don't you love, don't you want to love Jesus? He's returning with great power. He's returning in glory. He's the victorious king. He came a first time to die for your sins. Do you receive that? Because he's coming again with justice. He's going to gather those up who believe in him, but he's bringing justice to the world who don't believe in him. So, Mark 13, 28-31, the end is soon. The end is imminent. Let me read that, and then I got one more passage, and we'll be good to go. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. Hey, there we go. Call back to uh, Mark 11. The fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will, not, will never disappear. So Jesus said this, where it says, this generation will not pass away from the scene before all these things take place. Jesus said this in probably, let's 30 AD. When was the destruction of the temple? 70 AD, 40 years, that's a generation there. 
And they saw that take place in 70 AD. And so he's saying the th- these things are soon to happen. The end is imminent. And so we can see this word soon and kind of get freaked out, right? Like, oh my gosh, this is, this is happening really, don't, but don't panic, okay? But this is happening soon. Now, this is God trying to get across to humans a concept of time, soon. God's communicating this to human beings soon. Do you think God's soon is maybe a little different than our soon? Like he's saying, I'm coming back soon. Our soon is like, hey, let's, let's get together soon. All right, let's, in our minds are like maybe a couple of days, maybe a week or so, let's get together soon. And so God's trying to communicate to us, hey, I'm coming back soon. And so this is God's communication to us. So let's remember that, okay? And so, but we are, remember that, that, that uh, list, we are coming up on, the, that's the next big event in, in history, is his return. So that's happening next, that's happening soon. And so for us, we don't panic, we don't get discouraged. If we are going through suffering and trials, we, uh, we, we don't give up. We are staying faithful till the end. And so in the book of, of Peter, which I believe uh, Mark and Peter worked together to write the gospel. Peter used a lot of his stories and Mark wrote them down. And so I want to end with a, with a uh, verse in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, to kind of encourage us as we leave here to stay faithful, to keep working, to do what God's calling us to do here on this earth, uh, to continue spreading the gospel to all nations, to continue doing the things that God's calling you to do here in this time. One of the things God's calling me to do is, is to change diapers in my family, okay? So after now I'm talking about the end of time, there will probably be diapers waiting for me to, to change. And that's part of living, right? I'm not like, no, babe, I can't change diapers. I'm watching for him. If you don't do this now, you better be watching for me. Okay. Hey. <laughs> so, go ahead and, and stand if you would like as I read 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And then I believe we're taking communion as well. You want to do that? So let's read this. Uh, this is kind of answering our question of how. Once again, how to watch for him. How to watch for him. Well, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 gives us a great insight of how to watch for him. Here it says, The end of the world is coming soon. There it is again. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll take communion because part of communion is our acknowledgement that he hasn't returned yet. 
It's our acknowledgement that he did go to the cross for our sins. It's our acknowledgement that, that we are desperately hungry for him to come back. Because we recognize if we're honest with, our, with ourselves, even as, especially as believers, if we are honest with ourselves, a lot of things aren't, aren't, don't feel right as believers. We look around like, this just doesn't feel right. What's missing? Jesus returning in glory is what's missing. And so we long for that day. So Jesus, thank you for coming the first time. Maranatha, Lord, the Lord has come. And Jesus, we are waiting. And we say thank you for coming again. Even though you haven't happened, it hasn't happened yet. We're thanking you. Thank you that you're coming for us. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And we're waiting. And we're watching. And we're active in our faith. Help us to not get discouraged. I pray if there's anyone in here that maybe felt discouraged this week because of their of, of, of faith and, and waiting and wondering what's happening in their life, if they felt discouraged, I pray that you would give them courage and encouragement today. Restore us, Lord. We're sorry as believers. We're sorry that if we've given up in some areas. Give us the strength once again to keep going. Give us hope. Give us joy in our lives, Jesus. Restore joy. Give us peace. That no matter what's going on in this world, we have peace that surpasses understanding. And Lord, fill us with love as we wait and long for you to come. In Jesus' name, 